Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Anyway, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Let me get to my assignment for today. 1 John 1. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read just verse 5 uh, because I believe verse 5 is probably one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament that we tend to just read over or read past. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message. Everybody say the message. This is John the Beloved saying this is the message which we heard from him, Jesus. And now declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, there's something probably over the last, uh, I would say, at least decade that uh, God has placed on my heart. I mean, when I'm, when I'm doing something like what we did Friday night and, and doing more apostolic ministry and setting people in, this past Sunday I was up in Traverse City, and the pastors in Traverse City, they turned the leading of the church over to their, their daughter and son-in-law who'd been youth pastors with them for 15 years, and they're still going to be there and be in ministry. But when you do functions like that, I love it. It's wonderful, but the preaching is very different because you're you're focusing in different areas. But uh, about a dozen years ago or so, one of the things there the Holy Spirit say to me very clearly that when I travel, and for me that's a minimum gone from home at least 48 weeks out of the year, and then the other four weeks I'm preaching then at our home church. So nearly 52 weekends out of the year, um, I'm, I'm preaching somewhere on top of that. I'm gone about 20 full weeks or more during the year and preaching at least uh, nearly 200 times a year. That's been for going on 31 years now. That has been a, just kind of a, a norm. There's a reason uh, my voice is as scratchy uh, as it is because... Uh, it, it's not just that it just sounds like this, and it's not that I'm sick. Uh, it's overuse. All right? There's no doubt about it at all. And a lot of years of preaching places uh, where they had no monitors and they turned me down because when I was younger, I felt like I had to stand on pews and scream to the top of my voice, or Jesus or nobody else would hear me. And so I, I, I literally blew a few sound systems in some churches. Uh, literally, I'd be preaching, all of a sudden there was no sound. I'd look back and the soundboard would be smoking. And they're like, you blew our sound system. I'm like, I'm... <laughs> literally happened. And then, of course, the next day I'm raising money to get them a new sound system. But anyway, give, giving my offering back <laughs> just because I'm so sorry I blew your sound system. I didn't do it on purpose, I promise. But one thing that I, that I heard is everywhere that you go, I want you to specifically, nearly every place, do at least two things. Number one... I want you to remove all fear-based theology from the church because fear and love cannot coexist. If perfect love removes all fear, then fear then can also remove love. And when you've been raised in a message of fear, you have a hard time receiving love and you have a hard time giving love. Matter of fact, uh, psychology right now and counselors have actually started to come up with a new PTSD. It's called religious PTSD. People that have been raised in church in fear-based environments, terrified of, of this God that's supposed to be full of love and light, and, and, and it's literally produced in them trauma 
and PTSD. My, my friend Nate Blouse, Nate has been here before. Nate, Nate has been seeing this as he's ministered to people in, in sessions that the trauma that takes place when your view of God is so jacked up. But then not only remove all fear-based theology, but repaint the father to the church. See, a lot of people are cool with Jesus. I mean, man, can I come down here or do I, for the camera, I don't know. I can come down here, okay, because I feel like I'm going to have fall off this step and that's not an attractive thing right there. I better, I better, better watch. <laughs> I've nearly walked, fell off platforms before, trust me. You're just not paying attention sometimes. But, but a lot of times people are cool with Jesus, but his dad, eh. You know, his dad kind of seems like a piece of work. His dad, Jesus is awesome, man. You know, Doobie Brothers, Jesus is just all right with me. But, I mean, his, his, his dad, man, I'm, I'm not sure if I can trust his dad because his dad kind of seems like somebody that's constantly in a bad mood and he's angry and he's wrathful. But yet Jesus came to reveal to us who his father really is. That's why John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time until Jesus, who came from the Father, revealed him. That means nobody in the Bible got God right until Jesus showed up. They prophesied in part, they saw in in part. They were living in the shadows looking towards the light. We are no longer living in the shadows of the old. We are in the light of the new and we look back into the shadows to look for Jesus. That's the purpose of it. That's why why Paul tells the church at Galatian uh, and the Colossus church, he's like, now that you have the substance, why would you go back to the shadow? Why would you go back to an old when you now have the new? And for about the last year and a half, I've not been able to get out of 1 John. One of the reasons why I've been spending so much time in 1 John is 1 John is the only book in the Bible that actually shows us in noun form who God is. I read part of it to you, 1 John 1, God is light. God doesn't have light, God is light. God is, 1 John 2 and 3, God is life. 1 John 3 and 4, God is Love, God is light, he is life, and he is love, all nouns. Every other description of God that you see, nearly everyone in scripture are adjectives. And a purpose for an adjective is to describe greater the noun. It's not to change the meaning of the noun, but it's literally to, to expand on it. So, you know, it seems like whenever I go on Facebook and I put, God is light, God is love, someone always says, yes, but God is holy. I'm like, well, absolutely. God is absolutely holy, but again, holy and holiness is an adjective. Why? Because his holiness is descriptive of his light, of his life, and his love. So his holiness is based fully on his character, and his character is the person, the place, and the thing. It's a noun. Someone else will say, but God is righteous. I'm like, absolutely. God is righteous. He's holy. He's other. He is, he is different than everything else, but his, again, righteous and righteousness is a adjective. So it's based on his light, his life, and his love. And then the big one that folks love to get me, but God is just. Because for some reason, the justice of God and the love of God are at war with each other. I don't, I don't understand that. And God is absolutely holy, just, but his, again, it's an adjective. Just and justice is descriptive of his light, his life, and his love. Matter of fact, our idea of justice is Moses. We want an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If someone harms us, sick them, God. I mean, if someone does something to us, we normally don't have the response of Jesus that when he's being punished, when he's being beaten, when he's being crucified, 
crucified. His response is not sick him, daddy. We know he could have called thousands upon thousands of angels, but his response is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, even in the old covenant, God's idea of justice wasn't ours. God is not retributive. We are. God is restorative. Matter of fact, you turn to the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah says, practice true justice, declares the Lord, which is mercy and compassion. So God actually calls his justice merciful and compassionate. Matter of fact, I mean, you know, if you've been in and around church for very long, and this was my go-to verse for a lot of years, that if someone asked me a question I didn't have an answer for, I would always quote Isaiah, well, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are loftier. They're higher than ours. And that's just our go-to verse. If I don't have an explanation, well, you know, God is not like us. God, his ways are higher. His, his thoughts are so much further along than ours. But the problem with that is when you read that in Isaiah in context, it's talking about God's mercy on the wicked. So when God is saying, my thoughts are higher than yours, my ways are higher than yours, what he's saying is, I'm nicer than you. I'm more merciful than you are. I'm kinder than you are. You want retribution. You want punishment. My heart is always reconciliation. My heart is restoration. My heart is not to punish my children. It's to bring correction to my children. So God is light. He is life. And he is is love. That is who he is. So all other views of God must go through the lens of who he is. But this passage jumped off the page at me here a few months ago. And what jumped off the page at me, and I've read it literally hundreds of times, is John said, this is the message. The message. This is the message we learned from Jesus. In other words, Jesus came to reveal who his father God really is like. And he said, this is the message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now you see, he could have just said, in him there's no darkness. But he decides to add, at all. Now you see, that speaks to me because uh, I'm, because I travel so much, I'm a little bit of a professional restauranteer. Uh, if it's a chain restaurant, I never need a menu, even though they hand it to me. I don't even know why I look at it. I already know what I'm going to get before I even get there. When they tell me what we're going to eat, I already know. You know, I'm not one of these people that sit in the line uh, at McDonald's for three hours going, huh. You know, I mean, nothing more irritating. That happened to me this morning because about the only time I eat McDonald's is Sunday morning for breakfast. I like sausage McGriddles. I hardly eat anything else there, but I like their half and half tea. So I go there a lot, and you'll have someone get in line and just look up at that menu. It's been the same menu for, like, ever. You don't already know what you're going to eat before you get there? I mean, about want to make me pull my hair out with some of that stuff. 
But with that, I'm not a really picky eater. I'm, I'm willing to, listen, I, I've, I've tried everything you can imagine. I mean, I've been in Africa and I've eaten, I've eaten zebra, I've eaten gazelle, I've eaten, I've, I've eaten every kind of animal you can imagine. I've had crocodile in Africa and crocodile in Australia. Not the same, by the way. Crocodile in Africa is a little chewier and spongier because they eat everything. In, in, in Australia, it is, it is really super, it's almost like you're eating fish because that's the main thing they eat is fish because you are what you eat. Total different taste. But there's one thing I don't do at all is onions. I, I, I can't stand the smell of onions. I, I don't want to see onions. I, if I crunch down on an onion, my day is ruined. I, I, I literally, I've, ne- I've never liked onions. I, I mean, and, and most people that know me know how much I detest onions. Matter of fact, uh, my friend Nate, he said to me one time, he said, you know, I think this might have been some childhood drama. We need to do a session. You, <laughs> you, you need some healing. And I said, okay. I closed my eyes and he prayed with me. Nothing came to me. I said, I just don't like onions. If my parents didn't force me to eat onions. I don't like onions. When I order a meal, I was just with a friend at a hibachi restaurant. I said, I want the steak and shrimp hibachi. And, and I said, I, I, I want you to, I want you to substitute all veggies for mushrooms because I mean I don't know what it was in the last couple of years I started craving uh, mushrooms and chocolate milk my wife said I'm pregnant I don't know what it is but I mean I'm ordering mushrooms on stuff all the time fungi I don't know what it is just my body must need it and so I'm like just mushrooms instead of everything else but no onions at all keep them completely away from my food and 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 John John says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I'm not going to lie to you. When I was raised in church, I heard God is light, but he definitely had a dark side. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm God, God, was, God was one. Yeah, ooh, God is light, but I tell you what, you better watch it. You better watch it because one wrong step, man, and he's going to get you. You see, our our views of God uh, not only affect us, but it also affects the world around us. It's amazing how our bad theology about who God is has absolutely affected the systems of this world. I just had here last a month and a half ago, we had a windstorm come through, and I had some my roof that was tore off. And thank God for insurance. I got a new roof for hardly anything, so that was a blessing. But, but, But they wrote it down in the insurance company as an act of God. Like God had anything to do with the wind. God didn't send the wind to rip my roof or anybody else's roof off. We know that God's not sending storms and trouble because when Jesus showed up, who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, when he gets in a typhoon, he doesn't say, thank you, Daddy, for sending the storm. I would never do anything else. No, he stands up and rebukes the storm because he lets us know. But you see, in a lot of the American church world, we've got all kinds of old covenant prophets living in a new covenant paradigm, and they're still thinking that God is sending all kinds of catastrophes catastrophes in order to bring judgment. And so I still remember when Katrina took place and well-known prophets stood up and said, this is the judgment of God on the sin of New Orleans. Well, it, it, it didn't even touch Bourbon Street. Uh, I mean, instead, it flooded the seventh ward. I was there a year and a half later where, where all of the marginalized and the poor, the people that God says he actually cares for the most, it, it wiped them out. It didn't. It didn't do all the other stuff. And people 
declare judgment all the time. They get this idea that God is going to get you and he's going to get you because he's light, but he's got a little bit of a dark side. And then, and then if you were raised like me, God is light, but depending on your end time theology, he, he was light, but he's going to come back like Rambo someday and slaughter everybody on the planet. And by the way, he's going to want me to come with him on a spirit horse with a spear, slaughtering everybody with them. I remember when I was 10 years old, I said, I'm not interested. <laughs> I ain't doing that. I don't want to kill my cousins that, that don't know Jesus. I mean, are, are you kidding me? I love my cousins. Why, why would I want to come back and do all of that? That's actually what most of the people that you like to watch on TV teaching that stuff ultimately teach if you really follow this stuff through. And then, of course, you know, we got the ideas of God is light, uh, but, you know, only, only those kids that have awakened to the light get to go upstairs with Daddy. But then he's got a basement. And he, he goes down there and takes out all of his sadistic ways on the bad kids. It's like God is light, but, but uh, there's no darkness at all. Listen, 25 years ago, I would have boldly stood here and said to all of you that if God doesn't judge America because of our sin, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I boldly declare today, if God judges America for their sin, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus. Because Jesus took all the sin of the world. He's a propitiation for our sins, but not our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. God is no longer counting men's sins against them. If there is judgment, it has nothing to do with God. It's called sowing and reaping. You continue to sow to the flesh, you reap of the flesh. That happens no matter what covenant you're under. If, if all kinds of crazy stuff happens, it's because people have continued to make dumb decisions, and then we want to blame it on God or a devil or anybody else. But God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. What, what would happen if the whole body of Christ began to actually believe that? If we begin to actually teach a message, you know, I, I, I wondered when I was reading this, I wonder when Jesus told John this. You ever think like that? I mean, he said, this is the message we heard from Jesus. I, I wonder, I, I can almost picture it because I, I like, I, you know, my mind kind of, and run a little bit. I can almost see it happening when James and his brother John, the sons of thunder, are, are running around on a preaching tour with Jesus and they show up to a couple cities and the cities don't listen and they reject Jesus and James and John said, let's call fire out of heaven and fry all them suckers. Let's just take them out because these are the days of Elijah. And Jesus looks at him in horror and he says, Huh? You don't know what spirit you are even of. I can almost hear him explaining to James and John. Don't you know that my father and I gave Elijah and Elisha a gift, a call, an anointing, and a grace to call fire on sacrifices? The problem is they, out of their own fear and insecurity, then started calling down fire because when we give a gift, we don't take it back. They started calling down fire on humans, and then we got blamed for that because we know that God isn't about that. How do we know? Because when Jesus showed up, he said, it's the thief that steals and kills and destroys. But me and daddy, we come for one reason, life and life to the full. So if there's killing and destroying and destruction, Jesus was letting us know, daddy and I, we had nothing to do with that. 
How many people do God give genuine gifts to and then they pervert the gift? You know how many people I've met that have genuine prophetic gifts but they go after the way of Balaam and they start manipulating people for money and they begin to use a genuine gift to manipulate people for their own purposes? God doesn't take the gift back because he gives you a grace. Matter of fact, Elisha, he took it even further than Elijah. I mean, Elisha is just hanging out one day and a captain comes with a troop of 50 to bring him a good message from the king and out of his own fear, he calls fire out of heaven and wipes out the captain of 50. Then another group shows up and, and he does the same thing. Finally, the third guy got a little smart. He said, hey, hey, listen, we're not here to harm you. Stop calling fire out of heaven and killing everybody. We're here to bring you a good message, but out of his own fear, out of his own insecurity, he took a grace that God gave him. Is this helping anybody at all? Well, because we know that God wouldn't do that because Jesus wouldn't do that because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, everything that I do is because I see my Father do it. Everything I say is because it's what I heard my Father say. And, and because if, if I'm not this way, then you already know that my Father's not this way. So where do we get all these ideas from that God has a dark side? We mainly get it, and I'm gonna need you to track with me here. We mainly get it from our holy book. Because we don't know many times how to interpret it. We don't know how to understand it. So we get these ideas that all of a sudden, you know, Jesus shows up and, and all of a sudden he turns daddy's frown upside down. Daddy was really mad for 5,000 years because love is not easily angered, but he was angry for 5,000 years. Matter of fact, he wanted to wipe out all of humanity. He couldn't stand you because of your sin, because he's so holy he can't even look at it, even though the idea of God hating sin is not because of what it does to him, but because of what it does to his kids. And we had this these ideas that God, man, he just, he can't stand us until all of a sudden we magically pray a prayer and all of a sudden we get in Jesus and all of a sudden he looks at Jesus, he smiles at Jesus, he can't stand you even though he made you in his image and his likeness but he don't like you, he don't want nothing to do with you and Jesus became the father's Prozac. All of a sudden daddy's in a good mood but he's only in a good mood for a couple thousand years because when he comes back, you better watch out. Now we've not said it like that but we actually have. And it's brought confusion to people because they're like, so what exactly is this God? Is he good? Is he a little ticked off? Because how can I be intimate with someone I'm terrified of? And how can I feel safe with someone that I'm absolutely terrified of what he's going to do tomorrow? See, you, you can never become a secure son or daughter, listen, it would have killed me if my wife would have told me when I went away on a trip and I came home and when the garage door went up and my kids knew that that was me pulling in the door, that they would have went and hid in the room because daddy was home, because they were terrified of daddy. It would have killed me. Instead, they were jumping up and down, daddy's home, daddy's home, because first of all, daddy was going to bring some gifts every time I went away and they knew, woo, daddy's got some good stuff for us. My granddaughters now do the same thing. Every time I go on a trip, my granddaughter gets a big smile. She's like, you're going to bring me a toy, right, Papa? I'm I'm like, yes, baby, Papa's going to bring you a toy. It don't matter if it's from the dollar store. It's just the fact that I brought her a toy. I mean, I mean, she, she'll be jumping up and down. Sometimes I won't get home till 10 o'clock, and she's waiting at the door. Where's my toy? I'm like, it's in the suitcase. I mean, could you at least let me unpack first? I've had to learn to put it in my briefcase so I can take it out right away and give it to her. Sometimes she wants to come to the airport with Nana so she can get it in the car. <laughs> Gifts and surprises is her number one love language. But if my wife would have told me the kids were terrified, 
when you came home. The sad thing is that's that was a lot of people's reality with their father. Daddy came home and he was in a bad mood or he just wanted to sit with a beer and not pay any attention to you or he wasn't present at all. And so then we we shift that idea to to Abba. And we start to think that God must be that way because that's what a father is and that's that's what messes us up. That's why people are cool with Jesus. Man, my big brother. We're tight. But dad. Dad's kind of like this. But you see, we we get this stuff because we don't understand a few things. We we're losing right now all kinds of our young people once they go to college. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've been losing, the church has been losing so many young people because they go to college and they sit in one philosophy class and the professor destroys the Bible. Literally, we'll tell kids, how many of you here believe the Bible? They raise their hand and all of a sudden they'll go into an hour rant and show all kinds of supposed contradictions and all kinds of issues about the Bible. I I literally had here a few years ago uh, a young man that had been in my parents' church uh, since I was was about 20 years old. He's been there for 25 years and and he works for AT&T and he went back to Central Michigan uh, to take a couple classes so he could get a promotion on his job and I get a phone call one night about 9.30 at night. I didn't recognize the number, so I didn't answer it, but then I got the voicemail, and he's like, Bishop, Bishop, please call me back. I just had this class, and he's freaking out, so I called him. I'm like, Nelson, what's going on? He said, I just had this class, and the professor literally just destroyed the Bible. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? I'm like, I'm aware of all that, and he's like, and you're okay with it? I said, I don't have a relationship with the book. Jesus never said, I've got to leave so the spirit of truth can come. And, and he, he, he never said the Bible will lead you into all truth. He said the spirit will lead you into all truth. Now listen, that doesn't mean the Bible's not important. It doesn't mean that, that, that God didn't even have men write it down and inspire it. But we've got to understand that when it comes to the Old Testament, this was ancient polytheistic cultures that believed everything came from the gods. The good goes from God. The bad was from God. The ugly was from God. That's why, that's why Job would say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now we know the backstory. It actually wasn't God taken away. It was actually a Satan, Satan, an accuser that actually took away. Now we know that. That, but Job didn't know it. Matter of fact, you know there wasn't even a Satan until like Second Chronicles in Hebrew thought. That's why when you read stuff all the way up to Second Chronicles, it's like you, it's God opened the earth, swallowed and killed all these people. I mean, I remember reading 2 Samuel 14 when I was in my 20s and it says God never takes life, but he devises ways to give life. And then like five chapters later, God opens the, God opens the earth, swallows and kills 5,000 people. And I'm like, I'm confused. I thought he never takes life. And over here, he's killing a bunch of folks. And thank God my my dad, when I was very young in ministry, gave me a Young's Concordance. I prefer to use that more than the Strong's. You know, I thought I thought I thought I dropped my, my I thought I had a hole in my pants and <laughs> it sounded like my phone dropped right there next to me. <laughs> But my dad gave me the Young's Concordance, and at the beginning of the Young's Concordance, in the preface, uh, he says something. It literally, it literally set me free. He said, when you read the Old Testament in Hebrew language, depending on the context, you can interpret it in two tenses. It's either the causative tense or the permissive tense. So in other words, you can interpret it as God caused that. 
God opened the earth, swallowed and killed all these people. Or God permitted, God allowed. Because we know it's a thief that's doing the killing, not God. But when man goes his own way and chooses to do what he wants, and and what we call wrath, Romans 1 tells us what the quote-unquote wrath of God is. It's actually not God doing something. It's God not doing something. It's him taking his hand off and saying, if this is what you want, knock yourself out. It was Jesus in Matthew 23 telling them that the temple was about to be destroyed because they rejected the prophets and they rejected him over. They rejected now the Messiah. And he said, listen, man, I'm weeping over this. This is not what daddy and I want. We don't want any destruction. But because you've chosen to go this way, all of the blood from Abel all the way up till now is going to be visited on this generation. Not because we will it or desire it, but because there's something called sowing and reaping. There's something that's going to take place because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. So anything that even looks a little bit dark, Abba has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, a great example, and this is what professors use, one of the first verses they go to to try to destroy the faith of young people. They say, well, over here in Samuel, it says God told David to number Israel. And then you go to Second Chronicles, 400 years later, scribes are writing down the same story, and they write down Satan told David to number Israel. So was it God or was it Satan? That can get a little confusing to you until you understand that there was no Hasatan, no accuser, no Satan in Hebrew thought until around Second Chronicles. When David wrote that, when Samuel wrote that down, they literally believed that it, it didn't matter what it was. God was the author. He was the one that did it all. But all of a sudden, over a 400-year period, you know what happened? They grew. How many of you has your ideas about God changed in the last few years? Why don't we let the Bible do that? For some reason, we view the scriptures as just something. Matter of fact, the the Bible, not everything you read in the Bible is true about God. Do you you all realize that? Matter of fact, the Bible in in itself tells you. All you got to do is go to Job 42. Job 42, God shows up and he said, listen, he said, I'm irritated with Eliphaz the Tamanite because everything he said about me is not true. Well, that's pretty much Job 5 all the way to Job 42. And you know how many sermons I've heard in my life from Job 5 to Job 42 saying, thus says the Lord, but yet God shows up in chapter 42 and says, I didn't say none of that. See, that, that, that's why we don't practice old McDonald theology. Here, verse, there, verse, everywhere, verse, verse. That's, that, that, that's not how you build things. You read the whole book. You read the whole concept. You read the whole chapter because the text out of context is a con. And we've been conned to believe a whole lot of stuff about God that is not true. So over a 400-year period, they begin to realize If it's bad, if it's destruction, if it's death, it's not God doing it. It's the Satan. And so by the time the scribes show up 400 years later, they're looking at the same story and they're like, you know, Samuel said God told David to do that, but thousands of people died when he did that. We don't think God told him to do that. We think it was the Satan. See, that that kind of stuff shouldn't terrify us. Listen, even the New Testament does that. Paul in Acts 15 shows up with all the other apostles and he agrees that the message to the Gentiles is don't eat any food offered to idols, no blood, man, you got to eat burnt offerings. It needs to be medium rare, baby. I'm sorry. I'm like, I don't want no overdone lamb. I love lamb, but overdone lamb, is, it's mutton. That's what that is. That's, it ain't tasty. 
It's like going to a Mediterranean place and they give you lamb and it's overdone. It's just, it's just chewy. It's just not even good. It's, it's But yet here's, here's, here's God and his whole, his whole heart, his whole heart towards us is nothing like we thought he was. The truth is God's, God's heart is not for destruction. His heart is not for stealing and killing and destroying, but his heart is for nothing but light and life and love. How much better would the world be if the church stopped declaring this ticked off angry deity that seems pretty narcissistic, that he wants everybody to serve him and bow before him. Listen, worship isn't for God. Worship is for us. Worship tunes us in and awakens us to be more aware of God. It, it, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need it. Matter of fact, I shared it with you the last time I was here. The first thing God did when he created humanity is he blessed them. He bowed before them. He praised them. He blessed them. He affirmed them. God literally bowed before Adam and Eve and began to bless them. He began to praise them. Why? Because it's what fathers do with their kids. My daughter brought her new granddaughter home. We couldn't go see her. Uh, in the birthing room because of COVID and she brought her home and she set her down. She was, she was just starting to wake up. She was in her car seat and I got down on my hands and knees and I stuck my head in there and began to chew them little baby cheeks up because nothing better than baby cheeks. I tell you, just I'm going to eat you to pieces. I can't help it. And I started affirming her, praising her, telling her how beautiful she is, how proud Papa is of her, how amazing she is. Why? Because that's the heart of a parent. Why would we think that the parent of all parents... God the Father who said if you would, being evil, would give good gifts to your kids, how much more the Heavenly Father. You want to really understand the love of God? The best definition I've ever heard of the love of God was from an atheist who committed suicide who died for 25 minutes and he was brought back. It was in a book about NDEs, near-death experiences. And he said, when I died, he said, I had an encounter with a being. He said, I don't know what the being was. All I know is it was incredible peace and exuded this love. He said, the only way I know how to describe the love I felt from this being was the day I picked up my first child for the first time times a million. Whew, what a beautiful picture of the love of God. Let me tell you, when I picked up my baby girl for the first time, whew, I was a wreck. I mean, I'm crying. I'm looking at how beautiful she is. And she come out of the womb like eyes wide open. I mean, she wasn't one of these big, I mean, Lord have mercy, she was ready to get after the world. I mean, she's singing out of the womb. Whoo, She's cooing. I mean, literally, I mean, the, the nurses were like, we've never seen a baby this wide-eyed. And I mean, her eyes were looking, and someone would say something, she'd turn their head. I mean, she's a newborn. She's turning their head and looking at them. And we were just like, Lord, have mercy. I mean, but she was always like five years older than she really was. <laughs> just always more mature. And I remember when I held her for the first time, and I began to think of that times a million. That's what the love of God is. What a beautiful picture of the love of the Father, because God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. You see, if we, if our view of God is still, you see, we've got to allow. That's, that's why, you know, in Acts 15, Paul says, okay, I'm going to tell the Gentile churches, don't eat any food offered to idols, don't do any of this stuff. And then about 15 years later, he tells them, I just eat it. 
It's kind of like Paul contradicting himself. Well, maybe over a 15-year period, he had a fresh revelation of who God was and that God didn't care about what the food was offered to as long as you gave thanks and sanctified it. You see, we, it's like we don't, we give people opportunity to grow, but we don't allow the scriptures to be a covenant journey of God in his beauty revealing himself until he fully revealed himself in Christ. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't make us afraid. It should help us understand it more because most people's view of an angry God does not come from Jesus. Their view of a God who's constantly moody normally comes from stuff they read because they view it as God causing. And then most of the translators tend to be good Johnny Calvin boys and they interpreted it according to God causing this. God is the one that is doing this. God creates evil. And, and you know, I mean, that's why you can read it in Isaiah. God created evil. But when you actually go back and study that word, that word create is not exactly what it's talking about. It's given us these ideas that God is, he's, he's bipolar. He's, he's, he's Janus-faced, you know, the Greek god Janus. Smiling, you know, for modern day people, it would be Batman. It would be, it'd be Two-Face. One side of it is he's ticked, and the other side, he's got a smile on his face. And we're not sure what God are we talking to today. Is he, is he, is he, is he this? Is he, is he this? I mean, which one is he? And you can get really confused, and that's why people tend to then throw it all away. Because they think that God has a dark side. You know, I've, I've wondered for years, and the, the beauty of grace even all through the Old Testament is evident. I mean, think about this. Joshua gets in a battle one day and he's like, man, in order to win this battle, I need more sunlight. And so he cries out to God. He said, God, would you please, please have the sun stand still. I want, I want to show you the goodness of a good father. Notice what Abba Father doesn't tell him. He doesn't say, listen, son, you're a moron. The sun always stands still. Matter of fact, it wasn't until about two or 3,000 years later that people actually figured out. Matter of fact, the Catholic Church, uh, you know, I mean, actually, actually put Galileo in house arrest and he died in his house because he said it's the earth that revolves around the sun. It's not the sun that revolves around the earth. They're like, heresy. Now, we know today that is a fact. We, we now have satellites. We, we know what's going on. And, and, and because we know that now, it, we have a whole different revelation of that. But God, in his mercy, if he would have tried to explain to an ancient mind that, that listen, not more than 90% of humanity until the 1880s was illiterate. They couldn't even read. And if you would have given them a Bible in the language, they wouldn't know what to do with it anyway. They had to believe the people that ran the world were the people that were educated. And people in the Old Testament, they literally believed believe that there was a Zeus and a Hera and that there was a Hercules and they, they literally believe in the council of the gods. They believe when you were in Egypt there was Amun-Ra and Set and Isis. They believed in Norse mythology that, that Thor wasn't a Marvel comic. He wasn't a movie. Thor was real and his daddy Odin and Hela and everybody else. They literally believed that there was all these gods up in the heavens. And so when the God reveals himself to them, the God of the gods, they just thought, well, he, he's just the most high. So, you know, there's still all these gods running around, but he's just the big bet. He's big daddy. He's the boss man. And so God in his mercy and grace just has the earth stand still and makes Joshua think the sun stood still because for him to try to explain it to Joshua, it would have blown his mind. 
It's like if I went back to the 1940s and tried to tell my grandmother that on my Facebook page, on my computer, on my phone, that, that, that there's a picture of her. My grandma, first of all, would say, what's Facebook? The next thing she'd say is, what's a computer? If I tried to explain in 1940 what a computer, that literally you can get all the information in the known world in the palm of your hand, she would have looked at me like I was nuts. She'd be like, you are crazy. You've lost your mind. But that's how much things have changed through the years. But we don't allow the scriptures to do that. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. What, what if we had a view of God like that? So the truth is bad things happen to good people. All kinds of things happen that we don't understand but if it's death, if it's destruction, if it's, if it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, anything that happens, the only thing I can say is all I know is there's no darkness in him at all. I, 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 don't, know, I don't understand, uh, but, 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 but doesn't God put sickness on people in order to teach them a lesson? All I do know is God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Yeah, but I, I had an aunt who believed God that she'd be healed of her cancer and she died. I don't know, I don't understand all that. All I do know is God is light and in him there's no darkness at all that I have to trust that he's better than I thought, that I, I can't get in the minds of people. I don't know why certain things happen. I, 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 I can't explain all of this stuff, but that's not my job to figure all of that out. He's, he's God and we are not, and there's a certain place of mystery that's actually healthy because if I can figure him all out, I'm now him. And then I don't need anything else, but all I do know is God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. See, I believe in the season that we're living in. And listen, bless all of you that are watching this. And, and thank you for tuning in. And, uh, but there's so many that have decided after COVID to not come back to corporate gatherings. But you got to understand something. When we gather together, is your caring light and your caring light and you're carrying light, and when we get together and, and we release that light, and then we encourage one another with that light, and it begins to just exude out of our very being, we all need that light. As a matter of fact, when my kids were real little, I would never let them sing the song, This Little Light of Mine. That song got on my nerves. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine for Jesus. My wife said, why won't you let them sing that song? I said, because they don't have a little light in them. They have the light of the world. If, maybe if we taught them this great big light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You see, we gave them this little idea that, you know what, God's just a little itty-bitty light on the inside of you. You're just a little light. So you don't really have authority to actually affect the world around you. And it literally produces mindsets in people. I say, I don't want the next generation to believe they've got a little light. I want them to know you are a city set on a hill. The light of the world lives on, the greater one lives on the inside of you. Greater is he that is in you. The Greek actually says than everything outside of you. He's bigger than you thought. It's kinder than you thought. John said, this is the message that we learn from him. I think it's interesting that he didn't talk about death, burial, and resurrection, even though that's still important. He didn't talk about the ascension, even though that's important. He didn't talk about modes of baptism. He said, let me explain to you the message, that God is better 
than we were told. Better than what was written. Better than what was said about him. He's kinder than we thought. He's more merciful than we thought. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are so far beyond because his thoughts of mercy towards us. Just look at Jesus. The only people Jesus ever got irritated with was the religious that were constantly trying to beat folks down. His only anger was at religion. It was never anger at sin or sinners or whatever language you want to use, believers, unbelievers. His response was showing us that my father is light. And in him, there's not an ounce of darkness. Do you know, and let me wind this down. Do you know that in the, in the Greek language, light is a metaphor for knowledge and darkness is a metaphor for ignorance? That in him, there's not an ounce of ignorance. In him, there's only knowledge. That's why it's not the truth that makes us free. It's the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. The word knowledge, gnosko, is having an experiential encounter with truth. That's why Paul said men would ever be learning and never come into the knowledge of the truth. That means you can go from conference to conference, church to church, podcast to podcast. You can watch one thing after another and never walk in freedom and, and truth because what makes you free is you having an encounter with truth. It's the encounter that brings transformation. It's worshiping not only in truth, but worshiping him also in spirit. Because God is light. And I want you to say this with me. Say, in him is no darkness at all. Man, I wish that God would be taught. Now, I can say this here because I know you all hear that here. But a lot of us, we had drilled in our brain for a lot of years. God's good all the time. God is good, except... God is good all the time, all the time God is good, but he's only good when you're good. <laughs> he's only good when you dotted the I's and crossed the T's and you, you got everything just right. That, that's the only time he's good to you because, boy, when you, when you get it wrong, you better watch out because God's going to get you, get you, get you. And the preachers will pull out that long, bony finger. That finger terrified me when I was growing up. Six years old. So I was such a heathen at six. The reason I got saved at least 50 times before I was 12, run to the altar, forgive me, Jesus, because that, that long finger would come out. And rather than teach that in him there's no darkness at all, there was a dark side to him. I'm, I'm just here to declare to you that there is no dark side to God. God is nothing but pure light, and he's placed the same light in us. And now he wants us to begin to release that light, just like Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where light began to flow out of them. They couldn't hold it inside anymore. He wants to transform us to such a degree that everywhere we go, in our home, on our job, at Walmart, at Myers, he wants us to release light because we are bringers of light. God is light, God is life, and God is love. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Bow your heads, would you? Father, I thank you today.
that there's no darkness in you. There's, there's no shadow of turning in you. You don't live in the shadows. You live in the light. You are pure and beautiful light. Matter of fact, the first thing you said is let there be light. Your heart is to illuminate us and awaken us and enlighten us. That's why weeping endures in the dark. It's for the night. But joy, light comes flooding with joy in our lives when we awaken to the life that you are good even if we don't feel you're good. You're you're kind even though at times we feel like what we're experiencing isn't real kind. You're loving even though there's times we don't always sense that love even though it's always there. That you are light and in you there is no darkness at all and we thank you for that. Lord, I I ask for anybody that is here, anybody that is watching this, that Lord, light would just illuminate to them. Let them know that you are so much better than they ever thought and that your heart is towards them and not against them. You're You're not turning from them. You're always passionately pursuing because you love your children. You love your family because we are all God's offspring. Some of us have awakened to that and some of us have yet to awaken to that. But it does not change who you are. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now do something with me. Would you put your hand on your heart a moment? I want you to pray something with me and then I'll turn this to Pastor Andrew. Just pray this out loud if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your love, for your light, and for your life that transforms me. Remove from me all ideas of you being dark at all, of you having any darkness to you. Illuminate me. Remove all fear with love. Remove doctrines, ideas about who we thought you were. For you are light. And in you, there's no darkness at all. And then use me, flow through me as a co-laborer in the kingdom to release light everywhere I go. In Jesus' name. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, We pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.